Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Good morning, those online as well. We love you, and uh, good to be with you as you're, as you're tuning in. Uh, I missed you last weekend. Uh, we finally moved into our new place in Bradford, so we finally landed, and I thank you. I took a little time off around that, obviously. It was a little exhausting few days, but um, last Saturday, you know, as, as Sunday was approaching, my five-year-old daughter, Julianne, was like, are we, are we going to go to church? You know, she wanted to go to church. She loves coming to church, which is, a, which is awesome as a parent. And I was like, I don't think we're going to go to church tomorrow. I'll probably be a little cross-eyed if, if we try to go to church, because I was exhausted, exhausted, so... But she loves it. We're back. It's, it's good to be with you. And uh, we're, we're glad that our, our, our plane has landed in our new place. So, so thank you for your prayers there and uh, for those that, that helped in one way or the other. One of my good friends uh, is Dave. And Dave is a Marine veteran. Dave served a couple tours in Iraq uh, some years ago. And because I have no military background myself, it's always kind of interesting talking to him about his experiences. Uh, while he was deployed. And um, Dave was a truck driver in the Marine Corps. And one of the things that was always really kind of struck me about the stories that he would share, and as he described his experiences, is that he would talk about their, their operations, their different uh, tasks and duties that they had. He would sometimes refer to them as, as missions. Missions. So whether it was transporting a truck full of Marines from point A to B, or, or transporting equipment or supplies or weapons, whatever the case may be, he, they thought of it as a mission. And uh, they, they took it seriously. They, there was a lot of intentionality, a lot of preparation, because obviously they're in a, a war zone. They're in a forward-facing you know, battle zone, and so the threats are real. You know, the risks are high. And so they took it very seriously. And so they recognized the threats that were around them. They, they kind of accounted for their equipment and its capability and its preparedness. And then they planned their movements as a battalion. As I was thinking about this sermon, it, it struck me, what if we treated our lives like that? You know, what if we thought of, of our lives as, as mission? What if we took stock of our own capacity, our own power, the authority that we have by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, what if we kind of prepared ourselves for the threats that would inevitably come against us as we live a life of faith? And what if we think about our movements and about our activities and about our commitments with intentionality? We have to first know what our mission is. What is this mission? What does it entail? What does it involve? What can I expect? As we continue this series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 10 this morning, and in our text this morning, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and carry out the very same ministry that he had been doing as they were watching on. So, so the disciples uh, to this point had been witnessing, observing, being trained. But now they go, and now they do. So for a season they were in training, and now they're being deployed. And there's, 
is in many ways an extraordinary mission to walk with Jesus and to minister with him and then to be sent out by him. But the same mission continues for us today in the same power and the same authority. So what does it look like? What is this mission? Well, in our text out of Matthew 10, I believe that Jesus offers us three Ps, three Ps of what our mission involves. And those are people, power, and persecution. So our mission involves people, power, and persecution. Let me pray for us as we get into the word. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to yourself. You're calling us even now, this morning, to yourself again. And thank you that you've called us your friends. You've called us your disciples. And also, Lord, that you've entrusted to us this great mission of the kingdom of God. So, Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient. And I pray you would empower us this morning as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week in... uh, Last week's sermon in Matthew chapter 9, you looked at some of the amazing healing miracles of Jesus. So the blind received their sight. Uh, Those who who had diseases which just kind of rendered them unclean in society, they were restored. They were were healed. And all along, the disciples are looking on. they're, they're, They're tagging along, witnessing what's going on. But now they're sent. Now they're deployed to carry out the exact same ministry. As I, I thought about this setting right at the beginning of Matthew 10, I, I had this flashback to the elementary school playground, right? Where you, you pick teams for kickball, for example. So you have two team captains, and somehow I was never one of those. I was always awkwardly standing in the line, you know, hoping I wouldn't be the last guy. But, you know, you, you pick you, okay, and then the next guy, you. And, and then you're just hoping you're not the last man standing there. But, you know, as I think about this scene in Jesus' ministry, he, he, he just goes, everybody's on board. You know, there's no favorites. Everybody come along. Let's do this. It's time to go. It's time to launch. It's time to go and minister to the world. And he's got, if you think about it, he's got kind of a cast of characters here in front of him. You know, he's got guys like Simon the Zealot who in all likelihood, was sort of a a religious terrorist against the Roman Empire at the time. You've got Peter, who would later deny Jesus. You've got Judas, who would ultimately betray Jesus. But to all of them, he says, let's go. It's time to minister, and he gives them his authority. And so there's hope there for us that God would want to use all of us in his mission. So first people, the first P of our mission is people. And as we see here, as Jesus commissions them, he tells them to go to a specific people, to a particular group. He tells his disciples to first go to the lost sheep of Israel, to go to the the Jews. So so even within Jesus' ministry, we see this kind of priority of of the Jews. Jesus ministered among the Jews. He, he would often enter the Jewish synagogues and teach there. He, as we see throughout the Gospels, he often gets caught up in these debates with Jewish religious leaders. 
And then even Paul, even Paul, the so-called minister to the Gentiles who were non-Jews, even Paul had this pattern of entering the synagogues first as he went about his missionary journeys. We see this in Acts 13, Acts chapter 17, for example. And then Paul famously said in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so in one sense, as we look at the New Testament, there is this priority of the Jews. And that's who Jesus is sending his disciples to first. But it's not an entirely exclusive mission. So even in verse 18 in our text, which we heard earlier, even there, this, this passage suggests that these, these disciples, that they, will, they will minister to Gentiles. They will be brought before them, as a matter of fact. And it's in the context of being arrested for their faith, being brought before Gentile rulers and kings. And in that context, as they stood before them, even there, they would have an opportunity to minister and give a testimony and witness to the power of the gospel. And of course, the Great Commission, which was preached early in our series at the end of Matthew, what's in play there? All the nations of the earth, all of them are at play. They're all in the scope of God's mission. But in terms of our mission today, your mission in your life, it's helpful to think about our people too. Who are our people? Your people. And one of the ways that you hear us talk about this regularly is the front lines of your life. The the places where you work, the places where you live, the places where you play, the places where you regularly come in contact with with folks. Those are are your front lines. And as you think about those places, even right now, as you think about going back to work or school or whatever it may be tomorrow... You can, many of us probably see countless opportunities, even there, to minister and to share the love of Jesus with people who may be far from God. And for many of us, that's a great starting point. But another way that I think we can think about our people, who are our people, is to discover if God has maybe given you a special grace, a special favor with a particular group. It, it may be people that you, who are like you, who share common interests or activities. It's the, you know, the cycling club or the hiking club or the gardening club, whatever it may be. It may be the soccer team, the sports team, maybe your classmates. Or, or if you're a parent that just sort of accompanies your kids to their sports, it might be the parent, the other parents who are, who are hanging around. And so sometimes it may be a particular group of people that are in one way or another kind of like us. That might be your people. In other cases, we find that we might have a special grace with people that are not like us. I think of our minister of spiritual direction, uh, Andrea Lerman. Andrea, if you know her, she's a, a petite woman, a white woman in her 60s who lives in Andover. But her, her journey, her, her various connections that came her way, and, and just an openness to God wanting to use her. 
Andrea has had for several years a ministry among skateboarders in Lawrence. Talk about different. Talk about people that are not like you. But she, she goes there faithfully. She shows up and she's part of their life. She mentors them. She mothers them. She nurtures them. You know, she goes to the baby showers, the you know, birthday parties that come up. And she just, God has given her grace and favor with them. And the same could be true for you. The same could be true for you. Well, I find this kind of thinking about my, my people to be very helpful because I, I, maybe like me, maybe you feel like all the weight of the world, you know, everybody's kind of brokenness and issues that we encounter. We just feel the weight of that. And, and many of us just feel like we can kind of solve it all or help everybody. And it, in one sense, our calling is to love the one in front of us. But in another sense, it's okay to think about the targeted ministry that God may have entrusted us with, the people to whom he has called us. And we need to embrace the favor that we have there. So the first part of our mission, according to Jesus in Matthew 10, is finding our people. Whether it's on the front lines, whether it's a particular group that God has called you to. And sometimes this ebbs and flows, too. There's seasons of ministry, there's seasons of favor, there's seasons of open doors. And that's all part of the journey. But the second component of our mission is power. It's power. We remember in verse 1, in which chapter 10, in which Jesus gives the disciples authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. All of them, he says. We see also verses 7 and 8, in which Jesus tells them, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So so when we read that, we we have to think, obviously they're not just commissioned, or they're not just sent in human power, in human authority. Because the, the, the task is impossible The mission is impossible just based on human effort. But they go in the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus has given them. They carry out the same ministry that Jesus himself has been doing. So there's authority. There's also authority, interesting, in this text. There's, There's authority just in the very fact that they go. There's authority in their presence because they represent Jesus himself. And so they could pronounce blessing or they could pronounce a judgment on these different villages, communities, people to whom they would go because they went in the name and in the authority of Jesus. And so it's clear in this passage that that how these communities received Jesus and his disciples was paramount. And that rejecting them, resisting them, would be severe. Well, power, I, I, I think power is sometimes kind of an underappreciated part of our identity in Christ. Because the Bible, if we look at the Bible and take it seriously, we, we see that the very power, the very Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in us. Romans 8.10 or 8.11. But maybe like me, you know, 
we sometimes go about our life powerless, purposeless, feeling like we can kind of make no difference in the, in the atmosphere, in the world that, that God has put us in. But, but again, the same, the same life-giving spirit that, that heals disease and raises the dead and sets the captives free is alive in us by faith in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses of the Bible is John 14, 12. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples in his final moments, final hours with them before he's going to be crucified. And listen to this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do the works that I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And as we know, Jesus would then be crucified and then sometime later pour out his Holy Spirit to empower and to fill his people. And so when I read that from Jesus, I I believe him. I believe him that he's given us authority to do these things in his name and with his power. Think about my Marine veteran friend, Dave, again. You know, as Dave and his battalion, as they would carry out operations, as they would carry out their missions, even in these remote, you know, kind of backwater parts of the world, they're, they're backed by the full authority of the U.S. military. So there's resource there. There's power there. Serious power behind them. And that's, of course, the nature of, of military mission, but... We, we remember in our kingdom mission that Jesus has given us is that according to Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so that is the struggle into which we are commissioned. That is the struggle into which we go. But we go knowing that we're backed by the full resources of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So, so far we've seen that our mission involves people. Our mission involves power. But the last thing we see is our mission involves persecution. Sorry to let you down here, folks. I know you were fired up. I know you were inspired, ready to go. And then I have to tell us about persecution. But in this passage and elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus takes lots of time to describe to his disciples persecution that may come. And he says, don't be surprised by it. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we, we pay attention here and we see what we have to learn. So the, thirdly and lastly, the mystery involves persecution. Jesus names various forms of persecution in the text. He, he talks about just kind of on the easy end of the spectrum, just resistance from those that they would go preach to, minister to. Uh, and, and then there's outright hostility from them. There's, you know, verbal attack. There's arrest. There's beatings. There's even, sadly, betrayal even within families as a result of their commitment to the gospel. He tells them up front as he's commissioning them that they're like sheep. That he's sending out among wolves. And as you know, sheep are notoriously defenseless against predators. That's why they need shepherds with big 
staffs that can fend away the wolves. But they're like sheep going out among wolves. And so that's not a very hopeful thing for them. But sometimes when I read texts like this, and you might feel the same way, I, I feel a little bit of a, a dissonance with what I'm reading in, in the text. And because a lot of this sounds pretty foreign to us, quite frankly. A lot of this sort of persecution is being predicted. But at the time of Jesus and his disciples, this movement they were part of, the way, as it was referred to, this was seen as a threat on a, on a couple of levels. It was a threat to some of the Jewish authorities who felt like their, their claims, their ministry was blasphemous. And it was a threat to the Roman Empire. Because this thing was happening and many of the Jewish authorities were getting upset and so there was unrest and this Jesus had claims of being a Messiah, a a king. And so there was a kind of political undertones as well. And so that's that's the environment that they're commissioned in. But as we know and as we appreciate in our context, in our country, we, we gather here freely. We worship freely. We can even, for the most part, share our faith without legal ramifications. And the same is true of all religions in our country, which, which recognizes religious freedom. And to be sure, some of us, and, and, and perhaps you, maybe you do experience hostility as you live out your faith, as you explain your faith on a regular basis. But, you know, I find that for the most part, as, as long as we're not jerks about it, we're, we're at least tolerated by others. And at best, we are, uh, we are welcomed by others. We are a spiritual resource to others. We are, we are folks who others believe, maybe they've found truth. And I want to know more about that. And that's a blessing when we're in that position. But we don't want to forget that there are believers in our modern world, even now, who, who experience exactly what Jesus describes in Matthew 10. According to Open Doors USA, which is an NGO that advocates for persecuted Christians around the world, there's at least 340 million Christians who are living in areas where they experience high levels of persecution, of discrimination. That's one in every eight believers in Jesus. Followers of Jesus are experiencing this on a regular basis. Or as you look at the breakdown by continent, that's Two out of every five Christians in Asia, one out of every six Christians in Africa are experiencing high levels of persecution for their faith. It could mean intimidation. It could mean their businesses getting shut down. It could mean they're arrested. It could mean mean they're beaten, tortured, and even killed for their faith. And so brothers and sisters in Christ across the world are regularly experiencing what Jesus describes. And so we pray for them. We intercede for them. We honor them. And we remember what Matthew 5 says from the Beatitudes, is that great is their reward in heaven for their experience here on earth. And at the same time, we have gratitude for the freedoms that we enjoy. But there's perhaps a more universal kind of resistance that you may encounter, that I may encounter as we step out in the mission of the kingdom. And this is spiritual resistance. Spiritual resistance. Remember again 
Ephesians 6.12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so, so whatever level of human, uh, you know, kind of physical, tangible persecution you may encounter, or may not encounter on a regular basis, we're still in the midst of a spiritual battle where there's spiritual resistance, and we take that seriously. I was talking to a, a, a friend that I consider wise and, and discerning recently, and uh, this friend was describing kind of some of the challenges, some of the spiritual attack or, or challenges that they're bumping into of, of a spiritual nature as they're in the midst of several transitions, some changes for their family, as they feel like they're following God's call on their lives. And, you know, things weren't all rosy, and there was certainly uh, some challenges. But she wasn't surprised. She wasn't surprised that they had been experiencing some degree of spiritual attack. She said, you know, we've, we've kind of seen this before as we've stepped out in faith and followed God. And so they kind of saw it for what it was. And so they, so they were staying vigilant. They were staying prayerful. And they were staying faithful even in the face of that. That's spiritual resistance as we follow God. Because there's, there's an enemy who wants to shortcut our obedience and our calling before God. As we think about this spiritual warfare, which is uh, sort of, you know, Hard to wrestle with sometimes or hard to grasp or understand. But as we think about this, I I like what British theologian and scholar C.S. Lewis had to say. He wrote this little book called The Screwtape Letters. And here's what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. So he's talking about the demonic, demonic powers, Satan. He says one is to disbelieve in their existence. Just to Reject that this is real. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, speaking of the demonic powers, are, are equally pleased by both errors. And they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So two errors. Just re- rejecting that it's real. Refusing to believe. And then I'll overhear fixation. Obsession. With demonic powers. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see these, you know, Jesus encountered demonic forces. His very presence provoked them, really, but he, he just dismissed them. He, you know, exercised them. He cast them out in his authority, and we have the same authority. But, you know, however we think about Satan, however we think about demons, however we think about spiritual warfare, as, as we encounter the New Testament, as we encounter the Bible, we, we have to see and appreciate that there's this clash. There's this conflict between the kingdom of God on one hand and then the kingdom of darkness on the other. And these two are in contention all of the time. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. We see this in the ministry of the disciples. And there will be conflict in our own ministry at times. And so our mission involves people. Uh, Our mission involves power, power of the Holy Spirit, and our mission involves persecution. So how now are we to live? 
what do we do with this as disciples of Jesus? Well, I want to offer a few thoughts which flow from each of these P's that we've talked about this morning. And the, the, the first is people. You know, perhaps you're on a quest to find your, your people. Who, you know, who are you called to? Who has God given you a, a grace with? You, you think about your front line. That, that's super helpful language, I think, for us to think about. The places where we live, work, and play. But where do you maybe have a special grace? Where do you have a special favor? You know, ask yourself, where, where are you trusted? You know, where do people open up to you? Where, where do you find yourself in conversations with, uh, you know, people about spiritual things? Do you? And, and if you do, if there is a place that comes to mind, invest there. Because you'll probably be most fruitful there. And if you haven't found that, I would say, ask God to show you and to lead you and to open new doors for you. The second power, you know, we remember that as we go, we have the spirit of the living God in us. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And so, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to add this line to your conversation. Can I pray for you right now? The last two words are critical. Right now, there's an authority there. There's a weight there. There's an expectation there. There's an urgency that God might actually do something. And so pray that people would be healed. Pray that people would be freed from demonic oppression, demonic forces. And as JP explained in last week's sermon, even if somebody isn't healed on the spot or otherwise, in the vast majority of cases, people feel loved, people feel cared for that you took the time to pray. And so exercise your faith. Exercise your authority and leave the results to God. And then thirdly, persecution. You know, I would say embrace persecution in whatever form it comes. I wouldn't say create persecution for yourselves by being obnoxious or a jerk or something like that, but embrace it. In, in this text, Jesus essentially says that the, the experience of his disciples is going to be the same as his own experience. And so Jesus faced persecution. Why wouldn't his students? Why wouldn't his disciples? He says a student is not above his teacher. And so if we're willing to follow Jesus, be willing to accept whatever may come as a result of that in joy. And of course, we remember our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. We educate ourselves about them. We intercede for them and we honor them in this life. And so as we go, we remember our people. We recognize our power and we embrace persecution. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your calling on our lives. I pray you would empower us right now to follow you in the places that you've called us. Lord, open our eyes to the people and the places that you've given us favor with. Lord, I, we, I just pray for a, a season of many testimonies and many opportunities to come in these times. Thank you that you've called us friends and that you empower us for this great mission of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.